This morning we continue in um, the Psalms of Sense, and so I don't know about you, but I've enjoyed um, being present in that and, and really having it speak to me throughout the week, reminding me of the peace that we've been offered, um, the hope that we have, the help that we have, all of the things that we've seen, um, and, and the Psalms does it in a way that speaks not just like a knowledge piece, but a, a real heart piece, that, that we sing it throughout the week. We remember it as we go, and so just thankful for our time in this series. Um, let's, let's refocus and just remember what these psalms are for. So um, I had this vision, kind of, this idea earlier, not a vision, but an idea earlier um, of growing up, and we, I have th- two brothers, and they're both uh, younger, but we would make road trips all the time, and we would travel often from Virginia Beach to uh, Jacksonville, Florida. So it was about a 12-hour trip. And while we didn't make uh, mixtapes, which is kind of what I've been thinking about, like the mixtapes that you'd make for the songs on the journey for, for, for a road trip, uh, we would often listen to uh, either a comedian or a book on tape or something. But there was this idea that as we gathered together, we would listen to something together or we would sing something together or we would have these different um, mixtapes. And so that was kind of rolling in my head today. And so as I'm thinking about like the Psalms of Ascent, uh, the, the series titled Songs for the Journey, I just keep thinking, man, this, these are the songs that you want rolling through your head forever. <laughs> like, because it's not just during pilgrimage, but it's this cyclical lifestyle that, that the Hebrew people had where they would travel, then they would go home, and then they would travel again, always with the idea that why they were traveling was to be with the people of God in the presence of God. And so this morning, uh, we maybe drove, some of you drove a little bit longer than I did, but we, whatever it was, we were able to drive a short distance to gather together as the people of God to be in the presence of God. And so we sing these same songs. We have these same ideas. Um, remember the previous four Psalms, they've kind of shown us that cyclical nature. They they started with a longing for home. They went and were on the road to home in Psalm 121. They got to Jerusalem, and David had a psalm of being in Jerusalem. Last week, we talked about the mercy of God um, and how he protects us on the road again. And then today, we're going to see again these character attributes of God. These psalms have reminded us that the world we live in is not our home. And then I, I went and I left here and I forgot. <laughs> like, I get home, and I begin to think of that as home. I begin to think of the, the parenting that I do as my main thing, or, or the, the, whatever the job is, as my main thing. And Chris alluded to it earlier. We get caught up in all of these things that are not our number one identity, and they're not our home, right? Um, so, by God's grace, let's pray that maybe today we'll remember at least till through lunch, We'll remember this isn't our home, and that we'll continue to grow in that, um, even as the psalmists are growing in that. So we're reminded that where we live is not our home. They've shown us that we do have a home, right? We do have a home where we will be satisfied in the dwelling place of God. That's our home. And mostly the psalms have pointed to the character of God. The fact that the God who is calling us home is the same God who goes with us, who prepares the way, who keeps us safe on the way, and won't let us go. The Psalms remind us of his strength, and his peace, and his justice, and his mercy. 
And so we look, and we're, that's, that's our encouragement. That's our boon. Not that the road's going to be better, but that the God who is these things goes with us and before us and is waiting there at home for us. This morning we press into the idea that this God, the Lord, Yahweh, has preserved his people. He has rescued and saved. Otherwise, the people of God would be destroyed. We're going we're gonna to imagine together some things, and so I just want to pray right now that God would, even, even in this moment, be working in our hearts to give us vision, to give us, like, to be able to imagine some of these things with David. So let's pray. God, we, we would ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would give us ears to hear, that we would hear your word, that we would believe your word, that we would trust your word. We pray that you would give us eyes to see, eyes to uh, that, that would use our imagination today to even see if it had not been for God, what would it look like? And then to open our eyes and to see that we have God and what does it look like? What is the truth of that? What is that reality that our hope and our help comes from the Lord? God, we pray that you would be doing this throughout your church, that your church today, by the reading of your word, remember who you are, that that would be first and foremost is a declaration of who God is, and that out of that we would see how to live, how to worship, how to give you glory. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, um, you know, we talked a little bit about it, but just the beauty of the Psalms, the, the word plays that he uses, um, the different poetry that's used in the Psalms, the even the way that the, the words are constructed on the page, which is crazy because there's no way that a language that was used thousands of years ago should have the same, like, be translated several times and still have this beauty in English for us. But it's awesome. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, that he has done that and preserved God's word throughout all time and place. And so today we have, when we look at our Bibles, which is not the original writing, I know that we struggle with that as Americans, but we didn't do this. <laughs> this was given to us, right? And we have this, and we look at it, and we read it, and just the, the I was reading and studying on chiasm. What's a chiasm? And, and so the Psalms are filled with it. And what it is, is this idea of poetry, and they use the same different language, but there's, it's kind of mirrored. And it's just this beautiful way that poetry is written. And we see some of it when we look at Psalm 124, particularly 4 and 5. So we're not even into the, the real meat yet, but just look at the beauty of this. It says, the flood would have swept us away, the torrent would have gone over us, and then you flip that and mirror it, then over us would have gone the raging waters. And so this, just this beautiful imagery that we find in the Bible. David is writing this psalm, and he's using this writing style and this structure, and he's doing it in a way that would stir our imagination. And he has this incredible imagination, but where does he get his imagination? God, right? God, and the circumstances of his life. When we begin to think about David's life, we're like, man, that dude lived a crazy life. He did. From the very beginning, when he was first shepherding sheep in the, in the woods and had the, in, the, in the wilderness and had this idea of who God was and that God would protect the sheep. And so he would go against lions and bears and kill them and slay them by the power of God to protect the sheep. Like, that's crazy. That, that kind of, that'll breed a really awesome imagination, like having that experience 
And we're going to see it later on when it talks about being prey in the teeth. So all of this is God's gift to David, but even more so, it's God's gift to us through David. And so he has this incredible imagination. And as we read Psalm 124, let's put it in proper perspective, right? David has this personal understanding of who God is. He knows the God that saves and protects. He's seen it consistently in his life. We talked about it from a very young age. We also have it in, in his uh, calling to, to lead the people of Israel against Goliath, a giant. We have it in that encounter with Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. I would just encourage you this week, maybe write a couple of these passages down. 1 Samuel 17 is the story of David and Goliath. And maybe, you, maybe we think we know it, but just get in there and read it again. Because I forget some of the little nuances of the Bible because I think that I've got the story but then I go back and I read, and I'm like, oh, man, I didn't, I didn't see that last time. In, Psalm, or in 1 Samuel 23, David is protected because he's on one side of the mountain, and Saul, who is now his enemy, is trying to kill him, and he's on the other side of the mountain. And so imagine them like slowly moving around this mountain so that they won't be found, and then all of a sudden somebody comes to Saul and says, hey, there's this problem you need to go, and Saul leaves, and he didn't find David. God protected David in the midst of that. And so then we see um, the escape out of Jerusalem in, in 2 Samuel, I believe it's uh, 15, I'll find it again, I didn't write it down. But the escape out of Jerusalem from his son Absalom, right? And so his son is trying to kill him now. And so he escapes, he hear, gets wind of it, he escapes out of Jerusalem and is saved from his son. So all of these things are not by David's design. It's not by David's great gen being a great general or great king or great spy. These are all the ways that God has rescued David from very real circumstances. And so when David starts this, he says, if it had not been for God who was on our side, he has the understanding that God is on his side. But it's not even if it had not been for God who was on my side. He says if it had not been for God who was on our side. You see, God isn't picking and choosing random individuals for himself. He's calling to himself a people. And so today, I think that's going to be really where we struggle. Like the idea of getting out of our individual mindsets and understanding that God is redeeming a people for himself for his glory because what we'll do is we'll take some of these things and we'll make them very personal and sometimes, that's, sometimes I think that's in line with Scripture. And sometimes I think that we're saying things that God's not saying. He's saying, I'm redeeming a people for my glory. And if I have a people for my glory, then, yeah, there's going to be some suffering. I appreciate the reading from James, right? The fact that we're going to suffer and there's going to be things that are hurtful and hard. But God's promise that he's going to preserve us is, is, is not nullified by that, Right? God is preserving a people for his glory. We get to be that people and walk in it. David sets all of this up to show the power and the glory of God. And then, not only does he say, if it had not been for God, right? If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, he's, he pauses. He says, hey, some of you guys didn't hear that. We're going to say it together because we all need to hear it. Let Israel now say, and then they would all say together, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. 
what a gift that we get to do this together, okay? Because otherwise we would forget. Because there would be days where the dog pees on our foot, right? And we, and we forgot. There would be days where we lose um, a loved one and we would forget. And we would, we would, not that we couldn't be sorrowful or grieve or mourn, but we would, we would forget that even in the midst of that mourning, God is on our side. The Lord God, Yahweh, is our help and our, on our side. And so we get to do it together, and we get to remind one another, don't forget. I know that it looks like, it, like this is not true, but don't forget that this is true. If it had not been for God, had not been for the Lord who was on our side, and then we say it together. Verse 2, David goes on, and so now he's kind, of, he's kind of reset. He said, hey, we're all believing this together. What are we believing? Verse 2 says, if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. And then he uses this beautiful metaphor of the, then the flood would have swept us away and the torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. As we look at these next couple of verses in Psalm 124, we got to start with when the people rose up against us. You see, I think that we have begun to believe a lie. And the lie that we believe that's, that's perpetuated, that really enters into us very subtly and we don't see it, is often that there's this neutral position. That there are people that are, are not necessarily against God or for God, but they just, maybe they haven't heard yet, right? And so they're in this neutral place. But that's a lie, according to what Scripture says. Scripture says that we are either for God or we are against God. And the beauty of it is that we were all against God until He turned us to be for Him, right? But God, being rich in mercy that we read about last week in Ephesians 2. So the lie that we believe is that there's a neutral position. And I think that we want to believe it so that when we're, when we're not walking in in right relationship with God, we can think it's, it's okay. It's kind of this neutral position. Um, or maybe really we long for a neutral position because there's good people out there that don't know Christ. And we, and we think that, that, that God's unfair in His judgment that, that they deserve hell. And so we even perpetuate that sometimes. Not just the culture, but even in the church sometimes. We say, hey, there's, no, it's okay. There's, there's a neutral position. But the, the reality of Scripture says that if God is not on our side, then He is against us. And if we are not on God's side, then we are against Him. In our New Testament understanding of Scripture, there are those who are in Christ. Paul uses that language. If you are in Christ, and those who are not in Christ. And it's pretty clear. Not just God, but Christ, the Son. And so we, we wrestle with that. As a people, we wrestle with that. But it's good news. It's the best news then that we could share to someone who thinks they're neutral. Because they, they're in ignorance. And so we have the opportunity to go to them and say, no, the good news is that you are actually worse off than you think. And God is more gracious and kind than you could ever imagine. 
And so when David's saying that, he, he, he begins with when people rose up against us because there, is, there are those who are not, who God is not for, and there are those who God is for. And so there is a, a collision between a worldly worldview that says I'm really okay and a Christian worldview that says you are, a, a, you need a Savior. Because if we're okay, we don't need a Savior. So David's talking about those who rose up against him. And he's talking about, literally in this, in this psalm, he's talking about living in Israel and having all the nations around them that would rise up against them. So you read 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, Kings and Chronicles, and you see how as God is establishing his people, the different nations around him rose up and attacked them and would want to destroy them. And so outside of being the people of God, Israel would be swallowed up. They would be swallowed up up alive, gulped in one hole. This idea in verse 3 that they would swallow us up alive means that they are so big and so powerful that in one gulp they could eat us. Imagine being David against Goliath and just the truth of that, right? That this guy could actually break me with one swipe. Like that's how much bigger those around me are. That's how much the danger I'm actually in. And then their anger being kindled against us. You know, the, the problem that, um, that the world has with, with Christianity and, and believing Christ as... Um, sufficient for sin, is that that takes everything away from us. That takes it out of our hands. And we desperately want to have control of it. We desperately want to be able to contribute something to our salvation. And, and so every other religion, every other worldview says, no, you contribute something. It's all upon you. It rests upon you. But we say that it doesn't rest upon me. It rests upon Christ and what He's done. And so the nations around us, not only would they want to swallow us up whole, but their anger is kindled against us. They can't, they're, they're frustrated, they're angry that we would claim that to be true. And then we see verses 4 and 5. Um, I was really hoping some of my, my friends would be here this morning because they, they love to surf and As you read verses 4 and 5, then the flood would have swept us away, the torrent would have gone over us, then over us would have gone the raging waters. Now David's talking mainly in a time um, in in the wilderness where during the rainy season there would be flash floods and it would just sweep everything away and it would be crushed, right? But when I was reading this, and this is the beauty of the Bible is that we can, like God uses and triggers our imagination because we're built in the image of God and so we have these incredible brains. I was talking to Otto last night, and we were talking about uh, whether it's, who, you know, what's more difficult to write a, a book and create a world or to be a director of a movie, but both of them have to use these incredible imaginations that God has given them, and so God's given us imagination. So I'm thinking uh, about surfing, and, and maybe you're like me, and you're not very good at surfing, and you've been knocked off the board in the middle of a very large wave and not known which way was up. Uh, and you just kind of get going. And I'm thinking, man, as I'm reading this, I'm like, man, the flood would have swept us away. The torrent goes over us, over us, 
over and over and over us would have gone the raging waters. And I was thinking, man, that is a place where we need rescue. That's a place where we feel completely helpless, where everything's out of our control. And it's a scary moment, even like on a two-foot wave, which is what I ride, you know, nothing big. But you get it caught up in that, and, and if it's deep enough, you don't know which way's up and down. Um, so just that reality. And, and so the same reality is what they would have suffered in the midst of the wilderness when uh, a flash flood occurs, and they have, they're out of control. They're being swept along whichever way it's going, and they need rescue. They need safety. They need someone to save them. That's if God was not on our side. This is what it would look like. If it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, we would have been eaten up. We would have been tossed to and fro. We would have no place to stand. We would not know which way was up. And yet, he is on our side. We see that in verse 6. David continues on and he says, Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Again, remember, David writes this coming from a place of he's seen like teeth. He's been the prey of a lion and of a bear. And by God's grace, somehow he's defeated those those animals that would attack him, and he's, he's escaped. Looking at uh, the, the fowler, so a fowler could have used a couple different things. They could have used a net, and, they, and often during these times they would throw a net over and try to catch the birds while they were on the ground, so that's what a fowler is. Or they would use um, some snares, and the snare would actually grab them and pop, um, so it would use some sort of force. Noah loves all of this stuff, and I'm, I'm afraid that even reading this, we're going to have snares in the backyard, and Charlie's going to get caught, and it's going to be, but that's okay. I'll take that, take that risk today, because the beauty of it is that there is an actual trap. There's no way that David should have escaped. So whether it was with Goliath, whether it was with the animals in the, in the wilderness, whether it was uh, Saul coming after him, Saul, his friend, Saul, the one that, that loved him and trusted him. Saul, whose son Jonathan was David's best friend. Or maybe it was his son Absalom that was chasing him and God rescued him. So, so even as we begin to think, if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, we have to begin to pull ourselves out of me and mine, and my family. That can't be where we, that can't be our first identity, which is really hard. Um, our first identity is as children of God because sometimes those in our family will not be in that same thing. We just read it. Absalom is not in, he's not on the Lord's side. He's against the Lord. But David rests in knowing that God is on his side. That's a, that's a hard one. But the beauty of it is that no matter what, God is preserving a people and David continues on. He says, not only have we escaped from the snare of the fowlers, but the snare is broken. It popped. It's, it's done. It's already been launched. And, and we should have been dead, but we're not. We've escaped. 
As soon as I read that, I begin to think of Romans chapter 8. I'm going to turn there, and I'd invite you to turn with me. Romans chapter 8. We're going to be in Romans for a moment or two. Romans 8 verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Right? If the Lord is on our side, who can destroy us? 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are grounded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This idea of being saved, of, of escape, of what should have killed us and it has not killed us. And now we have safety and rescue because of who God is. In John 8.36, it says, if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. So, I, I mean, just these ideas that we get to walk in freedom when we should have been dead. We should have been snagged by the snare, and yet Christ has freed us. The God, the Lord who is on our side, has freed us by the work of His Son, Jesus. And then in verse 8, David finishes with this hope of assurance and a help and rescue. Now, before we get there, I just want to say, maybe you're wrestling and you're saying, but wait, I, I have suffered greatly. So how can this be true? Because I feel like I've actually been caught in that snare. I've been whipped around. I'm, I'm, I've had people die. I've had loved ones who've been sick. I've lost jobs. We've lost children. How can this be a reality? Well, let's remember where we began, right? It, the, the, David is talking about a people that God is redeeming for himself. And so David experienced those same, same losses that you've experienced. He lost his son Absalom, to, who was attacking him, not just neutral, but against him. He, he lost his friendship with Jonathan. They couldn't hang out anymore because Saul, Jonathan's father, was trying to kill him. David ex experienced extreme loss but he deeply understood and trusted in the Lord who made heaven and earth. Verse 8. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. If you're saying that sounds familiar, it's because it is. We read it a couple weeks ago. Psalm 121 verse 2. Exact wording. It makes me think that this is something that they probably said pretty often. They would go back to trusting in the one who created because everywhere they looked, they saw the evidence of the Creator. And so that would come quickly to their mind. Our help comes from the Lord who created all of this. Everything that I see, He did, and it's beautiful. 
And so all of life became this reminder to them of who they were and the God who loved them, the God who created heaven and earth. You see, the great work of creation is what the Israelite people, God's people, clung to. So when they would see it, they would be reminded, and they would say, yes, that's our hope. That's where we put our trust. Their hope was in the Messiah who would come and save and rescue and restore that creation that God did back to even, even better than it was originally done. You see, the great work of redemption in the gospel is what we, the church, God's people, cling to now. We have hope of Christ who has come and rescued and restored and reconciled us as a people. That's what we cling to. That's where our hope lies. Romans 5. I told you we'd be in Romans for a minute. Romans 5, 1 through 11 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is the hope we have. The hope that the Lord is on our side. How do we know it? Because He sent His Son Jesus to be the one that would bear the brunt of His wrath that would suffer death in our place so that we could be adopted into the family, so that we could become heirs of righteousness, to walk in that righteousness, to be walking signposts for Jesus, right? Cheerleaders for Jesus. People that would, by grace, say, you know what? The greatest thing that I have is what God has done in me. And today I can say that the Lord is on my side, not because of anything that I've done. Just like David didn't say it because he was this great guy. He had been called by God and he knew that God was on his side. We have the same assurance today. That is our hope. And so I love this verse because it doesn't say that we won't suffer. It says that we will suffer. But God is calling a people to himself for his glory and we get to participate in that even in the suffering. God builds endurance which builds hope that other people can see and we can point to. And this is the gospel, verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the hope, this is the good news that we have, that Christ has come, that he's done the work on our behalf to reconcile us to a holy God. And so we can rest in that. I want to leave you with this. Because of the reality that Almighty God is for us, Right, that he's on our side. We can cling to the hope that he will preserve his people for his glory. And, and if we can get out of our individualist 
ideas, that's good news. Unfortunately, for me, that's super hard. Like, man, but I'm, I'm hurting. I'm experiencing suffering. But the reality is that, that I'm also part of a people that God is preserving for his glory, that, that others might hear the good news and rejoice in it. Pray that we would believe that, that we would trust in that today, and that would be our hope. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for both uh, the parts that, that of your word that we've read today that are easy to read, and we get really excited right away. And we thank you for the parts that we're going to take home and we're going we're gonna to mull over and we're going to wrestle with. We thank you that in the wrestling you're there. Um, God, we thank you for the Psalms. We thank you for David. We thank you for his imagination. We thank you for um, the way that he wrote that speaks to our hearts and reminds us where our help comes from that reminds us that if God, if the Lord is on our side, then we are more than conquerors because of what Jesus has done. God, we praise you for today. We thank you for your gospel work, Jesus, that you have come and reconciled a wayward and rebellious people, not neutral. We were enemies of God, and yet you came, and, and when we were far, you brought us near by the work of your, of your son, Jesus. So we thank you, God. We pray that even as we move into a time of communion, that we would remember that, that we would rest there, that we would rejoice in the hope that we have, that our God is our help. He's our Savior. He's mighty. He's strong. God, and that that would be uh, sustaining us throughout our days. We just rejoice in that. Thank you, Jesus, for the good news. In your name we pray. Amen.